turn in the Scriptures to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. This evening reading verses 1 through 5. Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 5. And before we read God's Word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You once again that You speak to us. We pray that You would minister to our hearts, our minds, our wills, our affections, our very lives. That Your name would be praised. That we would be sanctified uh, to be holy as Christ is holy. And that You would make us to serve You well, looking in hope and faith to our Lord Jesus Christ the King, who is the Messiah who has come. We pray this for our children. We pray this for ourselves. And so turn our hearts to You in that You would not by Your grace, by Your Holy Spirit, not allow us to harden our hearts, but rather to flee to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. These are God's words. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make Him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And He shall not judge after the sight of His eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of His ears. But with righteousness shall He judge the poor." and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Those are God's words. Again, for many chapters now, the main focus has been on Judah. As Israel and Syria have come to attack Judah, and Judah has put their trust not in the Lord, but in Assyria. And so Israel and Syria, we've learned, would come to nothing. And Assyria would soon attack Judah as the Lord used Assyria to judge due to Judah's rebellion against Jehovah. But this is all future, it seems. Uh, that in a short while Assyria would come in judgment, or that Assyria was currently coming in judgment. We've heard in chapter 10 how the Lord will come in judgment against Assyria, even uh, though they are being used as a rod in attacking Judah. And eventually Jehovah would come to judge them. But now picture this. you got to picture this because... What is in our passage? Assyria has seemingly, what we've seen in the past two chapters, Assyria has seemingly crushed Judah. Seems like there's nothing left. That's what has been promised. That's what has come about. And that's where we are when we come to chapter 11. 
And so and to encourage that remnant, we heard about last Lord's Day, those who remain faithful, those who would be convinced to turn back to the Lord in repentance and faith. In Judah, we are given chapter 11, a wonderful chapter in Isaiah that we go to for help, or we ought to go to for hope. There are three metaphors in this chapter. We're looking this evening at one of those. All three of those uh, are symbols of Jesus Christ. We're looking, though, at the first one. Jesus is the branch that grows out of David's family tree. That's what we're looking at this evening. And here He is the rod that grows from the stump of a felled tree. A chopped down tree, kids. Because the picture is of Assyria having come, having essentially destroyed Judah. And if you remember the summary passages in the beginning of the book, in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 7 and 9, Sennacherib, which is that king who would be the king of Assyria at the time of the judgment coming upon Judah. So the king of Assyria is leading Assyria against Judah. And it gives that this description of Judah. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom. We should have been like unto Gomorrah. And so that's the picture we have when we come to chapter 11. When you see a stump, what do you think of? Of that tree. You think it's really no more, right? There's no life anymore in it. That's essentially that picture for Judah. There's no more. This is it. But here's the promise that a rod, a branch, will grow out of that stump. And that rod and branch is the promise of Jesus Christ. Now We didn't look at this last Lord's Day in verse 27 of chapter 10 or when we were on that passage, of the anointing. It says in verse 27, chapter 10, "...it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing." The yoke will be destroyed because there is a kingdom promised. Christ's kingdom. And that's the first point this evening. The kingdom looks hopeless. The kingdom looks hopeless. Getting more specific in chapter 11, the Lord through Isaiah tells us on whom that anointing should rest from chapter 10, verse 1 of chapter 11. It says, "...and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots." Verse 1 sets the stage as we've been investigating that the kingdom looks hopeless. Israel's done. Judah is on the brink of destruction. Right? It basically looks destroyed. When you remember, when you walk, if you've had to chop a tree down and you look at that tree and you think it's no more. Right? That's what you think of generally when you think of a tree chopped down. It's done. One more swing of the axe, you might say, and all the promises of the Lord come crashing down. And that's where it is right here in chapter 11. There's an important word there in verse 1. It's the very first word, probably the same in your English translations. It's the word and. Very important word. This shows that chapter 11 is intimately connected to chapter 10. 
and the judgment upon Assyria. And here is Assyria, they have come against Judah, and they're going to be destroyed. But Judah is... Judah is on the brink of being destroyed. If the Lord is going to take boastful Assyria's tree down to nothing, chapter 10, verses 33 and 34, then we must also remember that there will be something else that looks like nothing, the very Davidic kingdom itself, as we see in verse 1. Now this takes us all the way back to Jesse. Verse 1 takes us back to Jesse, the father of David. And we remember Acts 2. It says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. But if we look at Verse 1 of our passage, it's indicating a new David. It's not the David, son of Jesse. It's indicating a new David. Just like Hosea 3 does, it refers to Christ. Where it says, Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and His goodness in the latter days. Well, David's been dead for a couple centuries at this point. So we go back to the stem or the stump of Jesse. The rod of out of Jesse's stem or out of Jesse's stump, the branch out of his roots is a new David. It's a new David. Not the David father of Solomon, but we might say the second David. The royal line here described is as nothing but a stump when we come to chapter 11. When we look at Judah's stumps, don't look too hopeful to become a grand tree, do they? The roots or the stump here is merely showing what is desolate. It's defunct. It's demolished. And yet if you know stumps, if there's life still in the roots, you might just see a a sprig, a shoot come up from the stump and roots. And especially in our day, uh, some of you might know, and maple trees are very good at this, uh, shooting up, and uh, they're very hard to kill, right? So here, Isaiah is indicating the Lord's promises to His covenant people that the Messiah will arise at a time when the nation and kingdom look pretty pathetic and powerless. But this promise is not without hope. It's not hopeless because the stem of Jesse is also the root of Jesse. If you look at verse 10, it said in chapter 11, verse 10, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. The hope is in the root. And yet verse 1, it is in the branch that comes from the root. In other words, the root of Jesse is an image implying this one is also the source and origin of Jesse. The root of Jesse is a title. A title for a person whom the nations will come seeking. Verse 10. And his appearance is much like a stump 
will be like Isaiah 53 describes, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground, and he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So this then is a promise that that the Lord will send forth His Son as King of His kingdom, who will save His people from their sins. In other words, Christ who is God, one divine person, the roots, will take on a human nature. So God and man coming forth as a branch. On the one hand, He is the seed of Jesse, descending from Him in His human nature. And yet, on the other hand, He is the source of Jesse. He is His offspring, a twig, a shoot, a rod, but also His origin, the root. That's our King, Jesus Christ. And so this is going to be not merely a human Messiah, this is going to be one who is the God-man. That's the Messiah. God and man. And this goes back to His name, which we've just heard in Isaiah chapter 7. Emmanuel, God with us. In chapter 9, His name reminding us again in chapter 10, verse 21, the mighty God. This is Him. That's the Messiah. And how many times does He have to tell us through the prophet that the Messiah, the Savior, is going to come? He's done it. We're only in chapter 11. And He's done it many times already. And yet verse 1, still a very bleak picture before Judah, Judah and its kings will be chopped down to a stump. Listen to the Lord's promise of how bleak it will be back in chapter 6, verse 11. Then said I, Lord, how long? And He answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man, the land be utterly desolate and the Lord have removed men far away. And there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land, but yet in it shall be a tenth. And it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree, as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. There's a remnant. And here there's a Messiah. One anointed. Kids, that's what Messiah means. Anointed one. Christ. That's what Christ means. The anointed one, the Messiah. Well, Christ will come. But before Christ comes, it will look as if there's absolutely no hope for the Messiah coming. And the promise is that they've come to nothing. But they haven't. Right? You look at a stump, there's the promises held in the stump, in the roots. All those covenant promises. We just saying in Psalm 132 of the Davidic covenant, or the, the covenant that the Lord gave to David. Promising him that there would be a king forever from his descendants. So those promises, they look like they've come to nothing when you look at Judah, but they haven't. They will look like God's kingdom, the kingdom of the Messiah, often looks in the world at times, often as if the promise of the kingdom hangs by a thread. Weak looking, often unimpressive. Very much like what Jesus gives in the parable, the mustard seed. It will look like a mustard seed. 
and about as visible as hidden leaven in a lump of dough. And such appearing, uh, appearances can be disturbing and horrifying for His bride who are citizens in His kingdom. But so the kingdom of God is often likened to the mustard seed and seemingly small and unimportant. Maybe abandoned, it looks like. God's kingdom in verse 1 looks a lot like an abandoned kingdom. But it will be in such circumstances that the Messiah, the Messianic branch, will appear. And thankfully it has appeared in Christ Jesus. The kingdom looks hopeless. Second point, the kingdom's Messiah. The kingdom's Messiah, verse 2, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So here's the rod, the branch shown forth. Remember when when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River and John, having baptized him, he saw coming down from heaven what looked like a dove and the Holy Spirit rested upon Jesus. The Father thundered down, he spoke, Thundering down, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit there was to remain with Him all His life in His human nature as the God-man. And the presence of that Spirit, the Holy Spirit upon Jesus, is crucial for every aspect of Jesus' life in accordance with that human nature. He was dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And this accounts for His wisdom and power and faithfulness. And that's what we see here and promised in verse 2. And here's a promise of the Holy Spirit coming down unto Him and granting Him the wisdom, the understanding, the counsel, the strength, the knowledge, and the fear that He needs in His human nature. And so God's people are described similarly as having the Spirit. Just as Jesus. Daniel 5. This is the... Queen of Babylon speaking. And so obviously it's mixed with her pagan ideas. But it says, This is a man, and there is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And then the, the many judges, you look at the book of Judges, the many judges, they had the spirit of God come down upon them. You think of Elijah, the prophets, Elijah and Elisha, and the other prophets too, but in. 2 Kings 2, it talks about Elijah and Elisha. And it says, And when the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And that same spirit we share in, friends, as in our being in union with Jesus Christ, we have the same spirit. And we too taste the powers of, of the world to come. Right? Hebrews 6, it says, We're made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the world to come. And that's spoken of the covenant breakers. We've studied that. Isaiah 5, we studied that. The, the covenant breakers, they tasted it. Right? They had, a, they had a, a, a closeness to it because they were in the visible church. How much more covenant keepers who actually believe on Jesus Christ have the Holy Spirit resting upon them and in their hearts and their lives. And this is the same Spirit, friends, that at Christ's baptism came down, just as is prophesied here in verse 2. 
The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So the Holy Spirit will bring him, it says in verse 2, a spirit, a spirit of wisdom and discernment. As though, chapter 9, the, the wonderful counselor. As that wonderful counselor, he will have great wisdom in making plans based, of course, in God's eternal decrees. Also the power to which such plans he puts into effect. And he will have the spirit of knowledge and fear, which implies that this king is driven by a reverence-filled faithfulness to the Lord. And so in other words, God's spirit equips him, God's king, to fulfill God's call. God's spirit equips God's king to fulfill God's call. And he will come. That's the promise here. Isaiah 4, verse 2, it says, In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. And so the Holy Spirit and all His gifts and His graces shall not only come, but He will come and He'll rest upon and abide with Christ the Messiah. That's the promise here. He shall have the Spirit not with measure, as we do, but without measure, the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in Him. Colossians 1, For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Colossians 2, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then how did Jesus begin His ministry? As this Messiah who came. He stood up and He read from Isaiah in Luke 4. He said, The the Spirit of the Lord is upon Me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Very similar to our passage. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And so here is described the spirit of government. Remember chapter 9, the promise for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, because he's king. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so our passage is saying... Christ is going to be equipped to be a perfect king of His kingdom. And this kingdom that was even promised to David and to Solomon and those kings that came after Him that we sang about in Psalm 132. And so that it is that He is fit, the Messiah Jesus is fit for judgment which the Father has committed unto Him and given Him authority to execute. Right, John 5, it says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. For as the Father hath life in Himself, so, he, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself, and hath given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. And yet Christ Himself would be the fountain and treasury of all grace to believers, that from His fullness all who have faith in Him might receive the Spirit of grace. But this goes past just as being king, and he is certainly king, and fulfilling the office perfectly. 
He will make known the Lord and salvation to the children of men. He will make known the mind and will of God with whom He is well acquainted. Because John 1, it says, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared Him. He'll make Him known. He will administer, as we've studied, the affairs of His kingdom and all branches of it to bring about glory, the glory of God, the good welfare of the children of men. He will fulfill the terms of that covenant. The covenant as well. He'll institute the proper ordinances in wisdom. He'll do this with a spirit of power that nothing He undertakes will fail or be discouraged. Isaiah 42, He shall not fail nor be discouraged till He has set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for His law. And so His zeal and fear of the Lord shall be great. Isaiah 42, it says again, Behold, My servant whom I uphold, Mine elect, in whom My soul delighteth, I have put My Spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Hebrews 5 says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. And so he has a spirit of the fear of the Lord. In verse 3, it says, And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins, his mind. Friends, the promise here is Isaiah 11 for the hope of the remnant of Judah is in Christ the Messiah King who reigns forever on the throne of David. And guess what? He reigns now. Praise God. He reigns now. The promise has come to fruition from Isaiah 11. The fulfillment in Christ Jesus who is King of Kings and our mediatorial King. Our priest King and our King today rules in truth. He says in verse 3, And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Now our, our King's rule and discernment goes far beyond what seems to be what is apparent, what is superficial. But He judges based alone on the truth. Why is that? Because He's the God-man. He's the God-man. So He's not king and not judge merely as God, but as our mediator king and judge. He rules today in truth, but even more, He rules in justice. Verse 4, But with righteousness shall He judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. This is a king that rightly puts all things right. The helpless, the afflicted, the poor, the needy, the meek, they're singled out in particular as the beneficiaries of Christ's kingly rule, His reign. That as king, His government would be governed upon justice and righteousness, even and especially for them. And this is highlighted throughout the Scriptures over and over again. Our God and our our God, our King, 
is not a respecter of persons. Christ the King is the poor man's King. He's not just the rich man's King. Psalm 72, He shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the needy, the children of the needy. He shall break in pieces the oppressor. And if He's therefore the, the, the King, the judge of the poor and the needy, then He is judge and King of all. That's the point that's being made. If He's certainly the King of the poor, then He's certainly King and Judge of all. He doesn't even judge men and women and children on the nice and good words they speak. They might, uh, that is the, the speech that, that we hear from other men and women that likes to lift up even though they're ready to stab you in the back, right? He doesn't do that. He says, Matthew 7, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Right? Those are good words. Lord, Lord. Shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. He doesn't just look at the words or hear the words that people speak. He looks at their hearts. Christ the King will judge the secrets of men. Romans 2. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my Gospel. In the end of verse 4, chapter 11, it says, And He shall smite the earth with the rod of His mouth, and with the breath of His lips shall He slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of His loins, and faithfulness the girdle of His reins. Remember, He has, he has power. Why, why would He come and smite the earth? To slay the wicked by His Word. Why? Because they are enemies coming against His kingdom. We heard this morning. But our King, Jesus Christ the Messiah, in His kingdom, He has the spirit of power. But, but Christ will, by His mighty decree, take them out of the way at the right time. And His kingdom will succeed. Notice verse 5, Christian. Righteousness is the girdle of His loins. Faithfulness of His reins. That armor of God in Ephesians 6 comes from Him. It's, coming, it's in coming to Christ and turning to faith in Christ, which leads it and grants each Christian the armor of God. So take that armor, is what He says. Take it. By faith in Christ. Our Messiah is Jesus Christ, and He has come. Here in Isaiah, He was to come, but He has come now. He is King. He has been granted all authority by the strengthening of the Spirit as the God-man by the Father. And the Father, Ephesians 1, has set Him at His right hand, own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. And He works all things together for the good of His bride, the church. Now you might question, and you see with your eyes a weak kingdom on earth as you look at the church, but the suffering, as we heard this morning, the suffering of the people of God are those who look to their King and welcome His reigning on the forever throne now. You look in hope to Him. And He does reign. This was promised of old, and yet He reigns now. Even when the kingdom seems like a root, a stump, a mustard seed, even today, even though it's not. The Lord will grow it, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's the promise. 
And we believe that promise. Verses 2-5 through ought to teach all the church how fully this King meets our needs, that there is no deficiency in Him, there is no disappointment in Him. Our Messiah King, Jesus, is not just adequate, but He is fully satisfactory. If we could, I don't know, come up with some other word to describe infinitely satisfactory as the promised One in our King. A King who we heard this morning makes all things right. And for you today, may it be true as the design of the passage in part for you to respond like this. I always thought greatly of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I think more of Him now. Far more. Because this is Him. and He satisfies me. How satisfying He is to me. Jesus Christ is utterly righteous as our Savior, as our King. Friends, there's there's no greater king to have than this king. There's no greater king to submit to in all things than this king. The king of kings, the forever king who sits on a forever throne in his forever kingdom as was promised by David, promised here. So he is. All of you today are to come and submit to him in everything because he's the king. There is not a better king for all kings rules uh, all kings will rule with respect to persons there will always be bias but not this king the kings of the world were always uh, base not always base what they do and how they judge according to the truth he does that alone And He does that in righteousness and justice. Christ the King always has no respect for persons, always rules in the truth in accordance with righteousness and justice and equity. Because He is the truth. He is righteous. He is justice. These things are who He is, not merely in His character, but in His person. Who He is at the core, the God-man having come to save His people. And so come and be saved by this King. And though it may seem often that His kingdom is weak, remember who the King of the kingdom is. Keep looking to Him. This week, uh, as prayed about it a little bit, as clerk of our presbytery, I've received news of utter, wickedly, wicked appearing things. And Dave's going to read about this soon or has already. Backbiting, division. Caused in the church. Another instance of a man, same day, grieving in his soul, and he messaged me about that his minister preaching faithfully that to not attend the Lord's Day services where there is a call to worship is sin. And many in the congregation are rebelling against him because of that. That's in our presbytery. There are people in the church rebelling all over the place. And so, so many of those people, if they continue in that rebellion, will be cut off from the bride of Christ. And they might say, Lord, Lord, but you know what Christ's response is, I never knew you. Depart from me. And it's so trying, it's grieving, it's sorrowful, and one might conclude the kingdom is so weak. But Christ is on the throne. 
And He will make all things right according to His truth and His justice. And He rules, He reigns over all the nations for the sake of the church. That's what we know. That's what we believe. And all nations will, He's promised, turn to Him so that His kingdom will flourish and His name will be glorified forever as the Jews all come in and the Gentiles all come in. And they'll be filled with sinners who He saves and will make holy. And that's who we put our trust in. We put our trust in the King. And we bow the knee to Him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. We're thankful for the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods, the ruler of rulers, Jesus Christ, the Messiah who has come, the Christ, the Anointed One, promised of old, and He now reigns. And we're thankful for Your forever kingdom, His forever kingdom that He has set up, that He rules as He sits on a forever throne, and He rules over all creation. And His head of the church. And so we bow the knee to Him and submit to Him in all things. And so make it so by Your grace that we would bow the knee in all things and that Your name would be praised forever and He would be exalted unto the highest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.